Have you ever wondered what the world looks like to a cat? This is a weird, weird question, right? Um, I, I asked that because recently I, I, saw, I saw a website where I guess they've looked at, what, zoological research, that, and, and they show you, as best we can tell, what they think it, the, the world looks like through the eyes of different species of animals, how different species, the, the perception that they have. So um, on this website, there's a series of photographs. They'll have some scene from nature or some street scene, and there will be a picture on one side that says, this is how it looks to humans, and then over here, this is how it looks to a certain kind of bird, right? This is how it looks to humans. This is the way it looks to dogs, and it's, it's very interesting, at least to me. So here's what I discovered, okay? Dogs, poor dogs. Dogs basically see everything in black and white, shades of gray, very little color at all. It's probably why they, they're bored half the time, right? Just everything's gray, black and white. Bees, on the other hand, they, they see colors we can't even imagine. And I guess it's in the, uh, the, the ultraviolet part of the spectrum where we have no perception. They see colors like you can't believe. Um, snakes can see infrared, which means they can see in the dark, which is kind of cool, right? And um, cats, apparently cats are very, very good at detecting movement, but they don't see very well. Everything after a certain distance is very blurry. So time to forgive your cat. Maybe, you know, you, you're mad. You thought he was ignoring you. He probably didn't even know it was you, right? But um, the, point, the point of the website is Different species um, see the world in different ways. Now, if you will allow me to transition from something silly to something very serious, let, let me ask this. Have you ever wondered what the world looks like to God? How does God see oh, the world of human beings? How, do, how, does, how does God look at How does God see us? We're... We're beginning uh, the new year studying the book of James together, and the passage that was just read for us gives us, actually gives us some insight into that question. It tells us, it basically tells us how God sees us in two different ways. How God sees us on the outside, and it tells us how God sees us on the inside. Those are the two things I want to talk uh, about today. So first, how how does God see us on the outside when God looks at our exterior? Um, Verses 2 and 3 describe a hypothetical scenario that might take place in, a, in a, uh, a Christian gathering, a church service like this. And if you read the scenario, if you, if you actually saw this happen in our church, it, it would just make you cringe, wouldn't it? Here's, here's what James says. He says, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in and you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you. But you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit on the floor at my feet. You know, he, what a scenario. How would, you feel, how would you feel if that happened in our church? You saw somebody on the welcome team doing that. Or let's, let's say you saw one of, one of your pastors doing that to a poor... It'd probably be Pastor Jeffrey. I wouldn't do that. But can you imagine? It, you imagine you, if you saw that, right? Wouldn't that just... That would... That would outrage you. That would make you so angry. And guess what? James agrees with you. That would just be horrible to treat people that way. He says, he says in fact, in verse 4, he says, if you do this, he says, you have discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. 
James says to assess people and dismiss people based on the way they look on the outside. James just says that's evil. Verse 9, he says, if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. So we all agree, and James would agree, that it's horrible to treat people um, based on their exterior appearance. Now the question is, why? Why is that wrong? Because it's not politically correct, right? Is that why? Or because it's not very nice? Or because polite people don't conduct themselves that way. What, What is the reason James gives us? Well, listen, James gives us a deep, deep reason why this is wrong. He says it is wrong to treat people that way because, he says, you are, verse one, you are believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. He says the reason you must not do this, you are believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the book of James, as we've been saying, is a very, very practical book. James is basically giving us instruction on how to live a Christian life. James, therefore, he does not spend a lot of time uh, getting into theological doctrines, things like that. But this is one of the few places in the book where James, James is a theologian here. This is, this is perhaps one of the deepest Christological statements he says right now. He says, he, he describes our Savior as our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. What does he mean by that? Well, to call Jesus Christ means that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one promised to Israel to be their deliverer and their judge. To call him Lord. Um, that, That is to say that Jesus is the one who is sitting at the right hand of the Almighty, ruling over everything. In fact, in the Greek Old Testament that James probably read, um, the word Lord was used for Yahweh himself. So by calling Jesus Lord, he's pointing to his divinity. And to say that he is our glorious Lord, or you could translate it, he is the Lord of glory. One one scholar said, this suggests the heavenly sphere to which Jesus has been exalted and from which he will come at the end of history to save and to judge. So James says, listen, let me tell you the reason why it's wrong for for you, for us, to treat people differently just because of the way they look on the outside. He says, because you are believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what does he mean by that? In other words, what... What is, it, what is it specifically about the fact, guys, that we follow Jesus that, that would make it wrong for us to respond to people based on their appearance? What is it specifically about the fact that we belong to Jesus that would, would make that wrong? Well, the answer is actually very simple. Because Jesus never did that. Jesus never, ever dismissed people because they were poor or because they were women or, or, or because they were outsiders. He never, he never treated people better because they were popular or they were wealthy or they were educated. Jesus didn't do that. If you remember a few months ago in, in the season of Advent, we were looking at some pr- uh, prophetic passages from the book of Isaiah that talk about the Messiah. The Messiah in, in Isaiah chapter 11 is described this way. It says, he will not judge by what he sees. 
He doesn't judge people by the way they look. He, he will not decide by what he hears with his ears. He won't dismiss people if they're not eloquent, if they have an accent, if he, by what people say about them. But it says, but with righteousness, the Messiah will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. So the Messiah, Jesus, our glorious Lord, he doesn't discriminate. He doesn't show favoritism. He doesn't dismiss people or overlook people just because of the way they look. Uh, years ago, the, um, the actor Dustin Hoffman um, starred in a movie called Tootsie. You ever see that old movie Tootsie? It, it, he plays a role where for about... Basically, half of the movie, he's required to dress up like a woman, all right? For, for, the, for the movie, he plays this woman named, named Tootsie. And I read an interview with Dustin Hoffman, and he actually said that for him, playing that role, making that movie, was a life-changing experience for him. Because he said, for he realized for the very first time in his life, the way men treat women based on the way they look. Now, here's, here's how it happened. Um, Dustin Hoffman is a great actor, so he is a very, very convincing woman, all right? But um, how would I say this? Dustin Hoffman in drag is not a supermodel, okay? He, was, he, was just, he, he, he wasn't some kind of beauty queen. When he dressed up like a woman, he looked like what you would expect. He looked like him, a very average-looking, middle-aged, a little bit stocky, just, not, you know, just an average-looking woman. And here's what happened. He said that when he was dressed like Tootsie and he was on, uh, he was on set, Men would come onto the movie set not knowing that it was him. And he said, I just felt, I felt invisible. Is this what it feels like to be a middle-aged woman? He said, I just felt invisible. They would look right past me. They would talk right over me. They would ignore anything I said. Meanwhile, these very same men were gushing all over the young, you know, shapely Hollywood starlets that were there. He said, and he just realized this is not fair. This is not right to treat women this way. I, I, I wonder if you've ever felt that, that same kind of experience, as just being dismissed or overlooked, uh, maybe for different reasons, maybe because of your weight or because of your height or because of some disability that you have or, or because you speak English with an accent or, 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 or because, of, uh, because of the color of your skin or, or, or where you come from. If, if, you've ever fe- if you've ever felt that kind of discrimination, it's like a kick in the stomach, isn't it? It's just, it just it's crushing to you. Now, let me ask you guys a question. Isn't it wonderful to know that we live in a universe that is governed and ruled by someone who does not do that? Right? God, the Lord, does not. He, how does he see us? Well, how does he see us on the outside? He, listen, he doesn't focus on the way we look on the outside. So maybe, you know, you've been hitting the gym all week and you're wearing a new shirt today, and you just got a haircut, congratulations, you look good, all right? But God is not impressed. This this is what we learn in the Bible. God, when God looks at the world of human beings, God does not prefer the strong over the weak. He doesn't prefer the young over the old. He does not, he doesn't prefer beautiful people over um, ordinary people. He doesn't, he doesn't, God couldn't care less how talented you are. He doesn't prefer the talented over the ordinary. And what James says here, God does not prefer 
the rich and educated over the poor. In fact, James almost seems to be saying God actually prefers the poor. I don't mean to sound irreverent, but I think James would say, listen, if, if, God, if God had to spend an afternoon hanging out with a bunch of people, he would choose poor people. Why would he say that? Because in general, that's the kind of people that God has chosen to spend eternity with. James, James says in verse 5, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom that he's promised to those who love him? What, what does he mean by that? He doesn't mean that all poor people automatically go to heaven or that no rich people will, will, will ever be in the kingdom of God. Here's what he means. What we will discover when we get to the kingdom of heaven For some reason, the vast majority of the individuals whom God has chosen from all eternity to inherit everlasting salvation are the poor and the weak and the overlooked and the outcast. In fact, it's always been this way through church history. The places where the church is growing the fastest, the places where God is reaching the most people, are in general the poorest parts of the world. God's values are so different than ours, aren't they? So James would say to us, listen, since you are believers of our glorious Lord Jesus, the one who who doesn't value rich people over poor people or, or beautiful people over plain people, listen, he said, you must, you must follow his values. We we must never um Treat people dismissively or disrespectfully, right? Over the way they look on the outside. So that's how, that's, how, that's how God sees us on the outside. Now, how does God see us on the inside? Probably the touchstone verse in the Bible that talks about that is found in 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel 16, the context is God has commissioned the prophet Samuel to go to one particular household to anoint one of the sons in that household to be the, the, the new chosen king of Israel. And Samuel goes to the house, to, to this house, and the youngest son walks in, and I, I'm telling you, he just looks so kingly. He's tall and strong and handsome, and he has a, a regal bearing to him. And Samuel's thinking, that's got to be the guy right there. And the Holy Spirit says to Samuel, I didn't choose him. Don't be fooled by the way he looks. And then here's the verse that tells us how God looks at us. It says this, First Samuel 16, verse 7, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord sees the heart. God, God is not, God right now is not concerned about your outward appearance. He's looking at your heart. What was it that Martin Luther King dreamt of? He said, I have a dream. Of, of, of someday my children live in a country where they're not judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Why did he dream that? Because he knew that's the way God looks at people. He's, the, he's not look, God is not looking at your outward appearance. He's looking at your heart. Now, in case you don't realize it, let me tell you. That's not good news. That's not good news. 
I don't, I don't know if you're happy with the way you look outwardly. Maybe you, you wish you were taller, you wish you were thinner, you wish you had more hair, whatever. Listen, I, I, whether you're happy with the way you look or not, let me tell you, you look a lot better on the outside than on the inside. A lot better. So, so do I. Why do I say that? Why is it not good news that God looks at our heart? Because God evaluates us not by measuring us according to, you know, comparing us to other people around us. Well, you're not perfect, but you're not as bad as that guy. No, God evaluates us by the unchanging standards of his holy law. In the youth group, um, in my class, we've been, we've been learning the Ten Commandments, right? So any kid in the youth group can just rattle off the Ten Commandments for you. And, you know, you ask them after the, after the service. But here they are. Listen, number one, you shall have no other God before God. In other words, you are to put God first in everything, above everything, right? Number two, you are to worship God appropriately, not making images, worshiping God the way he says. Number three, never, ever, ever take the name of God in vain. Never come into a worship service and sing God's name when you're thinking about something else. You're just using his name. Number four, obey God by honoring the Sabbath every week, setting aside a a, a day for rest and worship. Number five, Honor your parents, respect your parents, and by implication, anyone in authority over you. The the next one, you shall not kill, don't murder, work to save and preserve human life. Don't be sexually immoral, don't steal, don't lie, speak the truth all the time. And then the last one is, don't covet. Listen, if uh, if you were complaining about something this last week, you're a coveter. Because you're not happy with what God has given you. You're wishing life were somehow different. This, this is the law by which God's standards, uh, the standards by which God, God measures us. And so that's, listen, that's why it's not good news that he's looking at the inside. Why? Because as it says here in verse 10, it says, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Meaning that the holy God who created this universe, he looks at the human life and what does he demand? Perfection. James goes on in verse 11, he says this, For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you don't commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. I've always struggled with what is his logic here. I'm not sure what he means. And I wonder if James is just kind of poking fun here at the absolute absurdity of thinking that you're okay with God if you've only broken one law. So to follow... um, to follow his logic, imagine you and I are having a conversation after church, and you say to me, uh, Pastor, how are you doing spiritually? How's your Christian life, Pastor? And I say to you, I am doing great spiritually. In fact, I say, you know what? This whole last week, I did not sin at all. And you say, you didn't sin at all? I said, I didn't even sin once. Oh, okay. Well, I did murder somebody, but I didn't commit adultery all week long. You know, how would you respond to that? You say, Pastor, I'm sure glad you didn't commit adultery last week, but if you murdered somebody, that's a big deal. And I said, no, it was only one person. It was only one time. You know, listen, you say, no, that's very serious. You're a lawbreaker. 
And, and that's what, what James says here. He says, if you transgress, you might pick and choose. I'm really good at this commandment, but this one, listen, you can't do that. He says, if you transgress God's law at all, even just a little, even less than your neighbor, J- James would say, you fall. Listen, God looks at you on the inside and he sees that you fall short of his standards. What does that remind you of? Maybe some of you are thinking of Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So how does God see us? Right now, God looking at this room. Listen, God sees every person in this room as someone who desperately needs mercy. God looks at you and he says, Oh man, there's sin in, in you. You need mercy. Every one of us, God looks at us and says, she needs mercy. He needs mercy. He needs mercy. She needs mercy. Every single one of us. And so listen, the good news is, isn't this the good news? That's why God sent his son. That's why Jesus came, because We are a world of people standing in need of God's mercy. What does it say in John 3, 17? God did not send his son into this world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You know, Jesus, um, we don't have any pictures of what Jesus looked like. There's no real descriptions of of, of him. The only only kind of allusion to his outward appearance is, is this prophecy in Isaiah 53 where we're told that there was, there was nothing attractive in him. There was nothing about his appearance that would make us desire him. Being, he was just a very ordinary looking person. I, I read recently, I guess they've done some archaeological um, study and, the, and they've, they found that the average man who lived in Palestine in the first century was like five foot two. Jesus was just a short little guy, bushy beard, not very good looking. You, you would walk right past him on the street thinking, as is nothing, right? He didn't look good on the outside. But on the inside, he's the only one who's ever lived who was beautiful on the inside. The only one. Why? Because as the, as the Holy One, the Righteous One of God, he obeyed the Father's will in every way. Every moment of every day, he fu- he's the one who fulfilled the standards of God's law, right? And so here's, here's the amazing news of the gospel. God sent this one, the only one, who's beautiful, really beautiful on the inside, so that those of us who are ugly on the inside might share his beauty. When, when Jesus went to the cross, for anyone who trusts in him, it was basically an exchange. He went to the cross to take all the ugliness, all of the ugliness of your sin and mine, and, and satisfy the wrath that our sin deserved, so that God could take all of the beauty, the righteousness of Jesus, and impute it to you. That's what Paul was talking about, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He said, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So God looks at us 
He sees our need for mercy. He sends Jesus so that that mercy can be ours. So here's the wonderful news. Have you ever, have you ever um, really placed your trust in Christ as your Savior? Have you? If, you? if you haven't, listen, you could do that today. Isn't that great to know? You could do that before you leave here today. But if you've ever trusted Christ as your Savior, when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin anymore. He, he, he looks, he, I mean, he knows you. He's, he's not dumb. He knows that you're a sinner. But he sees that your sin has all been atoned for in the cross of Jesus. And believer, when he looks at you, he sees the beauty of his son. Isn't that amazing? So, um, there's a great implication of this, actually, for us in the, in the way we treat each other. And I'll just close by pointing to your attention to verse 12 and 13. So, so here, James, he's writing to a congregation of Christians. He's saying, guys, you know when God looks at you on the outside, he doesn't really care what you look like. But he looks at you on the inside. He sees people in need of mercy, and he sees people whom he has pardoned. So he's therefore, think about how you treat each other. He says this, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who's not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So James was basically saying, he would say to us, he would say, church, you are all recipients of God's boundless mercy. Share that mercy with each other. Amen? Let's pray together. God, thank you that when you looked at us and saw our sin, you did not turn your face away. You should have, but you didn't. Instead, you sent the beautiful Savior, Jesus, to redeem us. I pray that that truth will shape the way we see our world, the way we see each other, the way we see ourselves. And I pray this for Christ's sake. Amen. If you are a baptized Christian and you are trusting Jesus as your Savior, and you're a member of any church that teaches his gospel, we would love for you today to come and join us at his table. You're invited to come here. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, this is my body for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, after supper, he took the cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, This is my blood of the new covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this as often as you do in remembrance of me. As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we declare the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the blood and righteousness of Jesus that covers over our sin and clothes us with his goodness so that we can come before you with joy and know that you receive us and love us with open arms. We pray that the table today would remind us of that again for the glory of Jesus. In his name, amen. 
Um, Elder Steve will help me serve you. If you're coming to the table today, as the ushers get to your row, just make your way here to the center aisle. Come up to the front. We'll serve you. You can partake of the elements here at the front and then return down the side aisles to your seats. Please come with joy to the Lord's table. Christ is my reward and all of my devotion. Now there's nothing in this world that could ever satisfy. Through every trial, my soul will sing, no turning back, I've been set free, and Christ is enough for me, Christ is enough for me. For me, and everything I need is in you. Everything I need, Christ, my all in all, joy of my salvation. And this hope will never fail Heaven is our home Through every storm My soul will sing Jesus is here To God be the glory Christ is enough for me, Christ is enough for me, and everything I need is in you, everything I I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. Cross before me, world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, 
no turning back please stand and join with us shines a glory that I only know in part there is still a longing a longing in my heart 